And so because the sheep are wayward, because the sheep are weak, because the sheep are of great worth, they need shepherds who will guard them, who will protect them. And so the local church is really a picture of a flock. And it's not surprising then that the elders are deemed shepherds or pastors accountable to the chief shepherd. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy over the past couple of years. And today we are looking at the attributes, qualifications, and responsibilities of the office of elder as Pastor Carl illustrates the biblical definition of an elder's role in the local church. Today's sermon is entitled, The Elder's Heart. Please join us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4 through 4, as we continue. These are important qualifications, and a church will stand or fall based on its leadership, and so they need to be spiritually mature. Listen, it's a real spiritual battle. The bullets are real. And we need the right men, and I say men because the office of pastor is not for women. Take all the chatter that's out there in evangelicalism. Even the president of the Southern Baptist Convention said, a woman can preach on Sunday morning as long as it's not some new doctrinal issue that the other elders. That's a lie. That's not true. That's snuggling up to the world, wanting people to like you. And we do a great disservice to women when we reverse roles and we ask them to do something that God has not called them to do. Listen, there are some things in the church that only women can do, and there are some things in the church that only men can do, and it has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with the role that God has called us to carry out. But not a new convert. Listen, forget the eldership. Sometimes people will bring across our platform some famous person, and we think, ah, oh, this famous person, you know, everybody admires him. He'll win people to Jesus. And then we see him crash and burn because we violated the application of a basic principle, not a new convert, lest he become conceited. So elders are several in number. They're seasoned in their walk. Third on your outline, elders are to be shepherds in their care. Shepherds in their care. Now, there are many figures in the Bible used to describe Christ's relationship to his people. And here he is using the analogy of sheep. The psalmist said, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In fact, there are seven figures that are employed in the New Testament church to describe Christ's relationship to the church. And if you've taken in the Institute of Biblical Studies, my course in ecclesiology, I go through these in great detail. And this would be a good study maybe this week. Because each of these figures say something about Christ's relationship to his people and our relationship to him. For instance, he's described as the head, and we are described as his body. He is described as the vine, and we are described as his branches. He is described as the chief cornerstone, the foundation, and we are described as the living stones. He is described as the last Adam, and we are the new creation. He is described as the bridegroom, and we are his bride. He is described as the high priest, and we are a kingdom of priests. 
And in our text this morning, he is described as the chief shepherd, and we are described as the sheep. And again, each figure delineates some different aspect of our relationship to the Lord Jesus. So why does he use the analogy of sheep to describe us? Well, there are many reasons. Among one, sheep are wayward. And Peter, basically quoting Isaiah 53, has already stated in 1 Peter 2, For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So sheep are wayward. They need a shepherd. Sheep are weak. And so they really can't protect themselves. And they need someone to watch them, to guard them. And Peter's going to key off of this in just a moment. But God also uses the analogy of sheep because sheep are animals with great worth. And in the first century, often a man's wealth was measured by the number of sheep that he had because they provided wool and milk and meat and more sheep, more lambs. But clearly, God values the sheep. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so because the sheep are wayward, because the sheep are weak, because the sheep are of great worth, they need shepherds who will guard them, who will protect them. And so the local church is really a picture of a flock. And it's not surprising then that the elders are deemed shepherds or pastors accountable to the chief shepherd. Again, we read here in verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God among you. Now that term shepherd, poema o, is a word that we use to describe a pastor. So we speak of a shepherd who is a pastor. He cares for the flock. So not only am I an elder and an overseer, I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor. And so the elder is to be spiritually mature, and he is to guard and watch over that flock. Now, the qualifications are largely given in 1 Peter 5, but primarily in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. But the actual job description is given to us in Acts chapter 20. If you have a Bible, hold your finger here and turn back to the book of Acts and go to the 20th chapter for just a moment. Acts chapter 20. Acts is a record of the first 30 years of church history. Acts 1.8 is the outline. Uh, you shall make disciples. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's Acts 1 through 7. In Judea and Samaria, that's Acts 8 through 12, and then to the remotest part of the earth. That's 13 through the end of the book. Well, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, and rather than go all the way to Ephesus, he calls the Ephesus to meet him there at the shoreline on his return trip. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. He speaks, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly warning, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice what he tells the elders in verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was with this church longer than any church in his entire ministry, three years in Ephesus. And Paul said, you know me, 
My whole time there, among other things, I solemnly testified of the gospel of the grace of God. He was like an evangelist. And Timothy, who probably do not have the gift of evangelism, is admonished by the Apostle Paul to do the work of an evangelist. And so a pastor, among other things, is to evangelize. He is to be involved in reaching out for those lost sheep who are brought into the flock as new lambs. And so there's a balance in Scripture. While he is to teach the existing Christians, he is to be involved in reaching those who are lost. Listen, if I preach about doing evangelism and I don't do it, then I'm a hypocrite. And if I'm a pastor and all I want to do is teach and not evangelize, then I am not carrying out my God-given responsibility. Part of shepherding the flock is reaching people in the fold that need to come into the kingdom. Second, a pastor is not only one who preaches the gospel of the grace of God, he's one who teaches. Again, look at Acts 20, 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. And then he adds in verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul didn't whitewash his sermons. He didn't just tell people what they wanted to hear. He preached the whole purpose of God, which included the hard things and some of the things that were pleasurable to preach. We live in a day where pastors don't want to preach the hard things. They just want to whitewash it. They want to give people, you know, a sugar stick to suck on, but not any of the broccoli and cauliflower that they need to grow up in the Lord. And so a man of God is to be filled with the Spirit of God. He's to come behind this pulpit of God. He's to preach the Word of God that the children of God might grow up. And if he doesn't do that, the sheep are malnourished, and they will struggle. They will be weak. And they, in turn, won't do what they're supposed to do. And that is to evangelize. But the biblical principle is that healthy sheep reproduce. Sadly, I deal with churches all the time. I'm on a Zoom call next week with a problem church. They've asked me to help them. And sometimes, you know, a pastor, all he's doing is putting out fires. This problem, that problem. And he lets those fires distract him where he is not doing what he needs to do. Speaking with a young pastor, inherited a church filled with problems. I said, just start preaching the word. Be faithful to it. Some of the problem people will leave. But if you will not only preach the word, but you will do the work of an evangelist sooner or later, you'll start seeing so many new people coming to that church that they will outlead all the old guard that needs to go. Listen, a pastor leads by example. And the sheep, if they are being fed, they will grow and healthy sheep will reproduce. And so many people, they think they can hire a gun like me to do the work of evangelism for them. You can't hire me to evangelize the people that God's called you to preach to, to share the good news of Christ with. Now, we might do it together in some instances, but there are people in your world, in your sphere, that I will never meet. 
And God wants you to do what you can to try to minister to them. And so a pastor, among other things, he devotes himself to the Bible to preach the gospel of grace, that he might preach the whole counsel of Scripture, and he devotes himself to prayer. And so he prays, he teaches the saints, he evangelizes the lost. These are like critical non-negotiables. Look at verse 29 when he speaks to the Ephesian elders. Part of what a pastor does is he's to protect the flock. Verse 29, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Jesus in John 10 spoke of wolves that would come in. It would come in like sheep, but they were wolves on the inside, and their intention is to destroy the sheep. Peter's getting ready to give a warning in verse 8 of our passage. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Good elders are on the alert. Why? Because he knows the devil wants to destroy his people. And when you have new Christians, look out. Because they're like magnets for cults. It's just like the devil knows, let me go trip up these new believers. And again, there's an assumption that there's new tender little sheep in the flock, which, by the way, is a reason why every pastor has to avoid the temptation of those who put pressure on them. Why are you preaching that message again? Why are you teaching that truth again? Give us some deeper stuff. People who think that way are totally out of touch. Those are people who have lost touch with the lost world because when there's new sheep coming in, they always need to hear it. And some are hearing what you've heard for decades for the first time. And so we see new Christians, by God's grace, every month coming to this fellowship. And the cults go after them. Or because they're so hungry and they like discernment, they're, they're, they're on the internet and they're looking at this and there's so much theological garbage on the internet today. And so an elder is to protect and he is to lead that flock. The word shepherd implies leadership and direction. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so like a shepherd leads the sheep, so the elder does in the local assembly. Now, some people have developed in their mind that the local church should be a democracy, the only problem with that is that is impossible to substantiate from Scripture. The assumption in Scripture is that elders lead, that they rule, and they are worthy of the people's respect, assuming they are qualified. Listen to this verse from the writer to the Hebrews. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Likewise, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul speaks of the elders who rule well, indicating that they have authority from God. Now, that may seem un-American in the face of the culture in which we live. And so, in many of our churches, many of our evangelical churches, we have succumbed to a democracy of sorts 
But if you read the New Testament, the local assembly is not a democracy. It's a theocracy with a chief shepherd over us all, and then under shepherds or pastors who come alongside under his leadership. And sadly, in many churches, the pastors, the elders really aren't leaders. They stand up in some business meeting of a church, and they bring up some issue, and they say, all you who are in favor of this issue say, bah, and all you who are against this issue say, bah, and they count the bahs over here and the bahs over here, and that's how they lead. That's not how God runs the church. And listen, when a church is run that way, you have a formula for disaster because in every local church, you have four groups. You have brand new Christians who lack discernment. You have older Christians who have never grown up. They've stayed babes in Christ for decades. You may have some carnal Christians who are out of fellowship with the Lord. And as Jesus taught in every church membership, you're always going to have some unbelievers. Not because you want an unbeliever to join your church, but the wheat and the tare will be mixed together until the time of the harvest. And you give those four groups of people an equal voice and an equal vote, and you have a formula for bickering, a church fight, and a church split. Look, many churches in America were not started by people who were passionate. Oh, we need to go plant another church. It was just a group of people who couldn't get along with their fellow Christians, and that largely fell on the way the church was structured. And so I mentioned to you, some churches are run by committees, and somebody well said, a committee is nothing more than the unfit appointed by the unwilling to do the unnecessary, and it always ends up in a fight, doesn't it? Where do you get that in the New Testament? The church is run by committees. That is not a New Testament principle. Elders are to rule. Look again in our text in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So sheep are able to follow a shepherd because with integrity he leads by example. Again, plain and clear, obey your leaders, submit to them. And let me just say parenthetically, the obedience that God calls you to in a local assembly is not a blind obedience like to some cultic leader. The rest of the New Testament affirms that we are to be discerning and that it is not an intelligent submission. The apostles stood up. And they said, when challenged by the religious leaders of their day, no, we must obey God rather than men. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter has already enjoined women, wives, to submit, to obey, and to respect their husbands. But their obedience, their submission to their husband is not a blind obedience. It's within the confines of the will of God. And that's why we need to find out what this book says, because our obedience is based on the Scripture. And if a pastor is contradicting himself on moral issues, and we've got that now. We've got a TK, a Tim Keller, who is saying same-sex attraction is okay. It doesn't need to be repented of. It can be embraced just as long as you don't act on it. My friend, that is heresy. That is evil. That is wrong. Same-sex attraction, if you are converted, needs to be brought under the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, just like a new Christian who might be struggling with heterosexual loss. 
No, we need to be careful that, that, that when, when God's word is taught, that God's principles are plain. And you don't just follow a person because he's a nice guy. When I came to this town, there was a pastor of a Baptist church, a super nice guy. But he denied the miracles in the Bible, and he'd teach a course over there at the local university, and they have all these Marines coming through. Well, you know, Dr. So-and-so said, you know, that, you know, this didn't really happen, and you don't follow someone because they're a nice guy. We have churches in our town, two churches that do gay marriages, two churches that deny the infallibility of the Word of God, and some who don't even think about it. Look at it, it's not a blind obedience. It's based on the Scripture. And so, listen, elders are to be several in number, seasoned in their walk, and there are to be shepherds in their care. Those are the attributes. Second, the attitude of an elder. Let's think for a moment about the attitude of an elder. Three attitudes that elders are to maintain as they serve the people, and they're spelled out here in verses 2 and 3. First, elders are to have an attitude of willingness. They are to have an attitude of willingness. We read here in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. So the shepherd, he must serve the Lord with a willing heart. It's not just a job that he has as a pastor, as a preacher, as an elder. I am to voluntarily, willingly serve the Lord. This is not something I have to do. This is something I want to do. And if someone's in the ministry and it's something he has to do and he doesn't want to, be, want to do it, something's wrong. He's either unqualified or he has lost his passion and love for Jesus Christ. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. I hear about people saying, well, I had to fight the call to preach. I had to surrender to the ministry. I don't really know what they're speaking about. This is a job that you willingly, voluntarily do it. In the providence of God, he put the germ in my heart to preach, and I can't think of doing anything else. I thought about it again this week. If I were not a pastor of a church, what would I do? And my mind can't go anywhere because it's what God has called me to. Paul said, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And so, if a man of God is called as an elder, there's a holy want to in his heart to serve the people of God. And I'm thrilled to be the pastor of this church. I personally think it is the greatest church on the face of the earth, and I hope you don't mind me thinking that way. And yet, here's Peter. Here's Peter who had been called of God, and he has to tell and remind these elders Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Why would he have to give that kind of instruction to elders? Want to make sure our hearts are guarded because the ministry can become a job instead of a ministry. Do you remember that occasion when the Lord Jesus, post-resurrection, Met those men on the same beach. He actually called them on. Some of you have visited that beach with me. And he restored Peter publicly. He had already restored him privately. And if you remember, Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. And so three times Jesus asked Peter, 
about his love. And we won't get into the nuances on the word, but Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Not the boats, not the nets, but these disciples. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, Lord Jesus, I don't know about these guys, but I will never deny you. If necessary, I will give my life for you. And so three times Jesus says, do you love me? And three times the Lord Jesus encourages Peter with three commands. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. Listen, one of the most important things a pastor can do if he really loves the Lord Jesus is to feed my sheep. And he uses first in the first command, lambs, and it's the diminutive. You could say little baby lambs. In other words, Peter, if you love me, go and graze those little baby lambs. I want you to feed them. I think many people think it's their ministry to criticize the lambs especially new Christians, because they don't match up to the life that they have been living. I don't find that commission in the New Testament. He says you are to tend them, look after them with food, feed them. And so again, there's an assumption that there are new believers in the church, but there's an assumption because he speaks of young lambs and older Christians that there are older believers. And in every sermon, you have to minister to the newest Christian and to the oldest Christian and everything in between. And so the Lord wants his pastors to know, you really love me, then you feed my people. And sheep that are not fed are weak, they are malnourished, they are diseased. That's why we have so many who drive an hour every week. That's why we have so many who who live stream in the first service to go to their church in the second service because the pastor doesn't open up the Bible. And some pastors have lost perspective and they're doing 10,000 things that they shouldn't be doing. He is to evangelize the lost, number one. He is to teach to save, number two. He is to spend time alone with God in prayer that make those first two real. And he is to guard and protect the flock. And some people get mad at me when I name some false teacher or some cult. That's part of my job. I have to protect my people. And it's part of helping these new Christians to stay on track. Notice again, look at the wisdom of this verse. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not, here's the not but, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. If God's pastors would feed God's people, their ministry would change. Some of the fires that they spend 24-7 trying to put out, they would just go out. You'll always have fires. You'll always have problem people, especially tear in the church. But the vast majority of the people will be healthy. And let me just say to you, no matter what you do in this church, I don't care if you serve in children's ministries, teach Sunday school, Awana, lead an ABF, maybe you're an usher, a greeter, you work out in the parking lot, whatever capacity you serve in, you need to walk in close fellowship with the Lord. To listen again to today's message, The Elder's Heart, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets. 
or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program TEH-020B. Search the Scriptures is made possible through prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help sustain this ministry, click the Give button on our app at searchthescriptures.org or call 877-787-7478. Thank you, and we hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.